0: Good evening. My name is Malcolm Duncan. I have the privilege of leading the church here at uh, Dundonald. If you're joining us online for the first time, or you will in fact watch this, there are a couple of thousand people a week that watch each of our services. Uh, Then thank you for taking the time to invest in that. I pray that God will speak to you, that He will open your heart. And I want you to know that if you need us, we're here to pray with you and pray for you. Just make contact with us via the page that you're on and we'll be able to help. And the same is true for you here in the congregation. Um, we are starting pastoral surgeries, before I turn to God's word, um, this Tuesday from 30 through until 4.30. If you've got an issue that you're uncertain about, that you're worried about, that you're anxious about, if there's some decision that you need to make, if there's some things that God might be saying to you, then we're here to help. And uh, this Tuesday and then a fortnight thereafter, the 29th, if you need to talk to someone, then you can contact my PA, Karen Lenny, and she will arrange an opportunity for you to spend some time with me. The other pastors will be running surgeries as well once we get into a bit of a rhythm. Uh, But we want you to know that we're here to serve you. You can book a half-hour slot. You can book a one-hour slot if you need uh, some help or support. We are a family that loves each other. And I'm going to read something to you before I turn to the Bible. Over Christmas, one of our uh, fellowship, Joyce McAllister's mum passed away, and uh, she gave me this as she came in this evening. I want to just read it to you. To my church family, thank you so much for your prayers and text messages. They have been a great comfort to me over these last couple of weeks. I'd like to thank Pastor Pip, Michael, Paul, Campbell, and my friend June For coming to my mum's funeral. I was so happy to see members of my church family there in my time of need. A funeral is hard to go to at any time, but it's harder when it's your mother. As a Christian for the last 18 years, it isn't any easier. Over the years, I have seen where God has carried me over the most difficult parts of my life. And I know in my heart that God was with me and holding me up the day of my mother's funeral. And I give him all the praise and glory. For God is a big part of my life because without him, I'd be lost. So I'd just like to thank you, church, for being there for me and for my family. Love, Joyce. Please do continue to pray for her and for others in our church family that need comfort and strength at this time. Those that... And um, Pastor Tyler mentioned, as well as Hammy Wilson, who is in a dire situation, an elderly gentleman, much loved by our church, and needs God's grace and strength at this time. I'd like to talk to you for a moment or two this evening, whether you're a Christian, you're exploring faith, or you're not yet a Christian, or whether you are a believer and need reminded of what God has done for you, I hope my word will bring encouragement to you. It's entitled, He Has Rescued Us. And if you have a Bible, could you please turn to Colossians chapter 1? I'm going to read from verse 3 through to verse 14. Colossae an area in Asia Minor, and the Apostle Paul probably wrote this letter around about the same time as he wrote his letter to the Ephesians, which is just a few books earlier in the New Testament. Indeed, some people believe that the two letters are part of one original encyclical or circular letter that was sent to people because there are large chunks of it that are very similar to the book of Ephesians. But let me read with you those verses. of Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through to verse 14. Paul says, In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope Before, in the word of the truth, the gospel, that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit amongst yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you. And asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you may lead lives worthy of the life of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. At the beginning of this letter, Paul is writing to encourage a group of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, just as he did. And he wants them to know that he's praying for them. He wants them to know that he's grateful to God for them. He wants them to know what he prays and why he prays for them. And I want to use the latter end of this text this evening to encourage you. If you are a Christian tonight, online or here in the room, I want to remind you of what God has done for you in allowing you to become or making you or bringing you into the new life of a Christian, whatever terminology you want. What happened the moment you became a Christian? And I use the phrase deliberately, not over the process of becoming a Christian, but actually the Bible teaches that something happened the moment you became a Christian. The very second you became a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether you can remember that second or not, God did something in you that is so profound and so important that it has eternal significance. What was it? And if you're not yet a Christian or you're exploring becoming a Christian, you might be saying, what happens when you become a Christian? What is it that takes place that makes a Christian different to a non-Christian? You will have heard people, I guess, like me talking about friends who are not yet Christians and using phrases like, they'd make a lovely Christian, or they're a lovely person, they'd make a lovely follower of Jesus. It'd be great to have such a lovely person in church. What is it that changes when you become a follower of Jesus? For those who are on the edge of Christianity tonight, perhaps newly converted, perhaps not yet converted then what Paul is praying for those who already follow Christ is what I pray for you. That you might come to know this God, that you might be wrapped in him and changed by him and transformed by him. For those that are already part of God's family here or around the world, this is what your pastor should be praying for you. This and two prayers in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 And Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1 form the basis of my daily prayer for all who are part of this church family. So if you're part of Dundonald, this is what I pray for you every week. And I try to pray for you every week. I'm pretty good at it. I don't always um, promise to be never missing, but most of the time, I pray for you by name, week by week. And if you want to know what it is I pray for, it's this. So I want you to listen carefully if you can, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to be reminded if you're already a Christian, what God has done for you. And if you're not yet a Christian, what God does in us when we become Christians. You see, for many people, perhaps even some here this evening, The Christian faith is a strange list of rules and regulations. You know that Abraham Lincoln once recorded in his diary that he had been to church and not felt miserable, as if that was an achievement. For many, church has become an endurance test rather than an enjoyment, a battle rather than a blessing, and an ordeal rather than an oasis in the desert. Christians are often seen as spiritual Victor Meldrews who spend their time and their lives condemning and complaining about everybody else. I hope you're not one of those types of Christians. You know, the, the rent and angry face type of Christian. The Bible has something very different to say about followers of Jesus, about who we are and what we are. And those angry, aggressive, pointy-finger, yelly, shouty examples of Christians, more often than not, don't draw people to faith. They put them all off. So let's take a look at who we are and what God has done for us when we have become followers of Jesus. What has happened in the life of a Christian, the inheritance of a believer? I want you to turn to another passage of the Bible with me for a moment. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. And in that passage, Paul is talking to a man called King Agrippa. And he says this when describing what his calling was from God. King Agrippa wants to know what has gone on in Paul's life. And he, Paul explains to him. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. This is what God had called him to. He called Paul, and I quote, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me and Jesus Christ. Christians are people who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. What a privilege and what an honor. When I became a Christian in 1986, I was brought out of the dominion of darkness. The word that is used in our Bibles for the word rescued has a very special meaning. It means that when an army won a great victory over its opponents, they would use this word. It means that they would take the population of the defeated armors country, every single one of them, and every single thing belonging to them, and they would take it all from the land of the defeated opponent into the land of the victor and give it to them permanently and completely. So when God tells Paul that he wants him to be someone who preaches a gospel of rescue, and when Paul prays in Colossians chapter 1 that the believers in Colossae might understand that they have been rescued. The word is a very strong and a very powerful word. It's important. It's the idea that when you become a follower of Jesus, God lifts you up, lock, stock, and barrel, and transfers you from a kingdom where you have been controlled and held and imprisoned by something else. Everything about you and everything that you are, he lifts you and he transfers you into a new kingdom. That's what rescue means. It doesn't mean to be half in and half out. It doesn't mean to be still stuck somewhere else. It means to be set free. That's what happened to Israel in the Old Testament with Assyria and to Judah with Babylon when their overarching enemies came and lifted them. They took them and brought them into a different place. This is what happened to those who are born again. When you are given new life by Jesus Christ, you are transferred, rescued, released, set free, liberated, unchained, and taken completely out of one kingdom and into another. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he had come so that we might have life, he meant it. When he had said that he had come to set the captives free in Luke chapter 4, he meant it. When he said that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free, he meant it. Listen to the words of Exodus chapter 18, verse 10. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the land of the Egyptians. It's the same word. The Hebrew people set free completely from slavery in Egypt for centuries by the hand of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 18, we read these words of someone rescued by God, "He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me." Praise the Lord. God is in the business of rescuing people tonight. Are you sinking? Then cry out like Peter, Lord, save me, and God will rescue you. He hears every cry, and he will rescue every person who is willing to accept that they need his help. He is a life-giving, mountain-moving God. He will save and rescue you if you call out to him. Hallelujah. We have been rescued from The dominion of darkness is what the Apostle Paul says. Whatever the darkness might be in your life this evening, God is in the business of rescuing you from it. There can be few things more difficult than to endure a life in the dark. Imagine a life without the beauty of color and the vibrancy of light. Children are afraid of the dark. It's a proven fact that crime goes up at night. More people die at night than they do during the day. We're in a period of the year when the nights are longest and deaths are most common. The darkness can feel like a blanket that hides us. At least we think it can. The dominion of darkness that Paul describes in Colossians chapter one, is just another name for the kingdom of the devil. Jesus used the phrase in Luke chapter 22, verse 53, when the soldiers came to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. The phrase means the dark and evil influence of the devil himself and all the powers that Satan can muster. And in Luke chapter 22, for a moment, the powers of darkness thought that they had won. As Christ hung on the cross 24 hours later or so and his disciples fled, darkness thought that it had won. As Jesus breathed his last and Jerusalem went on about its business. But, and praise the Lord for this, the dominion of darkness that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 22 was defeated as he hung and bled and died on the cross. And as he cried out, it is finished. He knew that the dominion of darkness, the power of evil had been broken. And the empty tomb is the seal on that truth. And the outpoured Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It is so important to get some of these big ideas right if you're a Christian. And if you're thinking about becoming one, let me help you to understand that. When Jesus dies on the cross... It is God's great, divine no to sin, no to evil, no to suffering, no to hatred and resentment and jealousy and pain. Jesus carries all of that according to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He who was the righteousness of God became sin for us so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. As Jesus hangs on the cross, it is the divine no to everything that separates human beings from God's presence and God's grace. But the resurrection, the empty tomb, three days later, is the divine yes to all that God has secured for those who trust in him. It is that moment when life breaks out of death and light breaks out of darkness and hope breaks out of despair and nothing can put it back in. And the Spirit's gift to the believers on the day of Pentecost is like a seal of guarantee on the church. I will finish my work. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of Satan, from a kingdom of evil and fear and despair and uncertainty into God's kingdom, into a kingdom of light. That's why we can read in Ephesians that Christ has led captives free in his train. And it's why we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that as Jesus died and hung on the cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities. And made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And it's why Christians believe that the cross sits at the center of our faith. Because it's there that this victory is secured. It's there that this defeat um, is, is sealed on Satan and on his power. Without the cross, we have no victory. Without the shed blood of Jesus, there's not a payment made for you. Without the wrath of God being satisfied, you're still held captive. But because of the cross, you can be free. Because of the cross, you are liberated. Because of the cross, there is hope. That's why Paul encourages those that read his letter in Ephesians 6 to stand in the victory of the cross, to stand in what God has done. I tell you, if you make a decision to become a Christian this evening or if you allow the full truth of what you are as a Christian to infiltrate your heart and soul, all hell will break loose against you. Satan will do everything that he can to stop you pursuing God's best for you. He will throw everything he can at you because he may know that he can't stop you getting to heaven, but he'll try to make you useless on earth. He'll stop you from being effective. He'll fill your head full of doubts. He'll get you to walk round and round in corners. Every time you round and round in circles, every time you try to read the Bible, a thousand other ideas will float into your head. When you want to come to church to worship with God's people, suddenly the, there'll be ten invitations to do something that you think is better. There'll always be something that can drag you away. Because Satan knows that if he can stop you growing in your understanding of what it means to be a child of the light, then he will make you ineffective. And I meet so many Christians here in this church as much as anywhere else who have lost the gift of assurance, who are worried about whether they're Christians or not, who spend every week thinking about Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? They're anxious. They're afraid. They're afraid. They're worried. Let me explain to you again in simple terms what God does when you have come to Him. He transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lock, stock, and barrel, as I said at the beginning of this message, because the kingdom of darkness has been defeated. The victory has been won. There may be many wars that we must fight, but the outcome is not uncertain. God wins because Christ has conquered. We have been transferred once and for all. Don't get too excited about that. (laughs) Why then do we still live in darkness? Why do we spend our lives shuffling about in the corners of our morality and our ethics? hoping that God doesn't see. Why do we think we can get away with it? I think the Bible gives us a stark and honest answer because people love darkness more than they love light. There's not one place in the Bible that says sin isn't attractive. It promises you everything and delivers nothing. Taking away from you bit by bit your identity, your purpose, your meaning, your significance, your sense of value, promising you freedom and leading you into greater and greater captivity. Promising you hope and leading you into greater and greater despair. Promising you prominence and leading you into greater and greater irrelevance. This is where I probably sound like a 17th century preacher, I'm afraid. We think we're better than we actually are. Left to your own devices, brother and sister, you will quickly put God at the bottom of your list because that's what we all do. You'll quickly hide away. That's why we need grace again and again and again and again. It's also why We are very good at making lists of sins that include all the ones we don't do and all the ones that other people do. Have you ever noticed that? We're brilliant at identifying other people's sins, but not so good at identifying our own. The deeds of darkness and living in darkness is more comfortable for you when you think you can get away with it. And it's that root issue that needs to be dealt with when you become a Christian. To be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is not just a simple matter of saying, great, that's done, it can do it alike now. It has a moral and an ethical and a theological impact on who we are and how we think because we are brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In the words of Paul in Colossians, into the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is a wonderful truth. For those of us who have come to Christ, we are not put into some kind of trial area. (laughs) Let's put them in the waiting room to see how they get on. Let's see whether they're really worthy to be called Christians by making them pass a couple of moral, ethical, or spiritual tests. Let's put them in our tick box room. That's not what God does. There is no in-between space. You're not transferred from the kingdom of darkness into somewhere where you can get your life sorted out and then into the kingdom of the son that he loves. I can't explain it, but it's changed my life. On the first Sunday of February, 1986, God picked me up out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of the son that he loves. There's a theological phrase for that. It's yes, everything changed. Everything transformed. I wasn't swapped into some kind of prove that you mean it room. I wasn't swapped into some kind of could do better, should try harder area. I was transferred from darkness into light. And that's what happens to you when you become a Christian. Does that mean I never sin again? No, you keep sinning. You keep falling. You keep failing. You keep getting it wrong. You keep struggling. But that doesn't mean that you're not Saved or converted or born again. Because now you're aware of the struggle. Now you're convicted of it. Now you're rebelling against it. Now you're saying, why do I keep doing this? Before you were a believer, you didn't have that conscience. The evidence that says to God, please change me more quickly. Help me to realize that this is wrong. is evidence itself that you've been converted. It's proof that there's something going on in your heart. To remind you that God has started a work in you that cannot be changed. About eight or nine months ago, I told this church the story, before I became the pastor, I think, of um, a tree in a church in Kern Castle Churchyard, just outside Larne. The tree is a 500-year-old Spanish Sycamore. And here's the story of it. They saw it emerging out of the graveyard and didn't know where it had come from or what it was about. But it's still growing and it's still there. And there are one of two options. It grew out of the grave of a Spanish galleon captain. So they know that that's where the seeds came from. But there were one of two things that probably happened. Either that Spanish galleon captain... His, sea, his boat was part of the Armada, came up the Irish Sea, sank. He drowned and was buried in the churchyard, given a Christian burial. Either he had eaten something at home or on the boat with a Spanish sycamore seed in it, and when his body was buried, it grew, which can be a bit gruesome, can't it? But move on. Or and this is probably more likely because this was a custom of the day, he was carrying in his pocket seeds that reminded him of home. And they buried them with him. And now 500 years later, the tree is still growing. There are two questions I would ask you out of that. One not directly related to my message, but cannot be missed. The same question I asked you Nine months ago. What seeds are you carrying in your pocket? Or what seeds have you eaten? That long after you're dead will be evidence of how you lived. Because they matter. The seed of anger will lead to angry people around you. Anger in a family breeds anger. Resentment in a family breeds resentment. Failure to be honest breeds lies and deceit. So what are you carrying in your pocket? And if you're carrying the wrong seed, do something about it. The second question is directly related to what I'm saying to you. And it is this. On the day that you became a Christian, God planted a seed in you, and it will bear fruit. It will grow in your life. It will grow in your thinking. It will grow in your understanding and becomes evidence that what God was doing was genuine and real all the time. I know what it feels like to feel as if you're stuck spiritually, to feel as if you're living in darkness rather than in light. But when you become a believer, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, God starts something in you. He plants a seed, He waters it. He asks you to water it through reading and scripture and prayer and faithfulness and generosity and community and all of those things. But God plants something in you. Now, let me ask an honest question to those of you that have been following Christ for a while are you watering that seed? Or are you resentful of God that it's not growing when you're not doing anything to feed and sustain and to strengthen it? Which Christian here doesn't want to lead a holier life? (laughs) Which one of us doesn't want a greater degree of joy? Which one of us doesn't want a greater degree of peace and hope? How much are we willing to invest in that? I want you to catch what this means. It means that all that God has for you is already yours because of the moment of your conversion. It's not about you creating it. It's not about you generating it. It's not about you making it happen. Romans chapter 8 verse 30 says that those whom God has justified, he has glorified. What God has begun, he will complete. If you're a Christian like me here this evening, then you're part of the vanguard. We're part of that inaugurated kingdom that Pastor Tyler prayed about in his opening prayer. We are evidence that God is at work in the world. Our lives point to something more. We're part of the kingdom of the Son that he loves. To become a Christian is to become a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people to belong to God, as Peter calls us. What Christ has in the Father, God has given to us in his Son because we are part of the kingdom of the Son that he loves. It's only as we live in Christ that we can enjoy the blessings of Christ. It's only that as we allow ourselves to be rooted in him that the evidence of that fruit can be shown. So root yourself in him. In the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption. That's an old-fashioned word. It means being freed from slavery, being bought out of bondage. Before you are a Christian, you are a prisoner. After you are a Christian, you are a liberated captive, set free to become a captive of Christ. When you become a Christian, you are bought out of the slave market life bought out of sin, bought out of evil. And what was the currency? Ephesians 1.7 gives us the answer. In him, we have redemption through his blood. That redemption was achieved once and for all. And yet the benefits and the joys of it are experienced anew. Every time someone becomes a Christian, the slave has been set free. The chains have been broken. The power of the blood of Christ has worked again. I love it. I love seeing people coming to faith because it reminds me every time that the power of Jesus' blood has not lost any of its potency. It has always worked and it always will. He is able to save tonight all those who come to him and will reject none if they come with a genuine and open heart. Do you know that power? It is the same power that is at work in the life of every believer. If you need set free, God can do it. If you need bondages broken, God can do it. If you you need set free from dominions of darkness in your life, God can do it. I encourage, I invite, I implore you this evening to stand and claim the call of Christ upon your life in whom we have the redemption of God, the forgiveness of our sins. A Christian is a forgiven person. Set free from our mistakes. Set free from the things that we wish we hadn't said. And the things that we wish we hadn't done. And the things that we knew that we could have done and didn't do and the things that we knew that we could have said and didn't the anglican tradition has a great way of remembering that before communion they invite those that take it to be silent and remember sins of omission and sins of commission what sins has god forgiven you of what thoughts and deeds and words what coldnesses of heart. God has set us free. And whatever you're facing tonight, whatever brought you to church, whatever brought you to watch online if you're exploring Christianity, God is able to forgive it all. There's nothing too powerful for him. There's nothing too strong for him. And how does that all take place? Work backwards in the text and you'll find the answer. In verse 12, this remarkable act is given to us through grace. In the book of Acts, when talking about the power of God, Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 30, 43, all the test, the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Father, the God that created you, has qualified you to share in this abundant life. Only grace and only faith can bring you into alignment with it. He has qualified you because he made you. made you. He weeps over you. He sent his son for you. He turned his face away from Jesus as Christ died for you, He stands at the gate and waits for you. He sends His Spirit to convict you. He reaches out His hands to you and He promises life to you. That's all already done. What you do will determine whether you enjoy the benefits of that. What is a Christian? Someone who has been set free by the blood of Jesus, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and enjoys forgiveness of sins through his blood. Someone who can hold their head up in anybody's company and say, I am loved and accepted and cherished and I have a purpose and a meaning and a significance and a value and a worth beyond my title, beyond my job, beyond what anybody else says. How do we get it? By asking for it by placing ourselves before Almighty God and saying, cleanse me, forgive me, and renew me. And those of you that are already believers, most people in this room, how do you walk in it? By standing in the reality of what God says about you rather than what other people have said about you. Let's pray together. I want you to take a moment to quietly reflect on what I've said. Why don't you silently say to God, help me to walk in the assurance of what you've done for me. Where the enemy has been telling you that you're not good enough, that you're not loved enough, that God couldn't possibly care for the likes of you. And it's carried you questioning your whole salvation into a deep and profound place. Why don't you silently lay that before the Lord right now? I have felt prompted all afternoon to pray for the assurance of your salvation. Lord, for those that are deeply conflicted here tonight, come by your grace. and give an assurance that you have begun a work which you will complete. For those that are trying to make this all work on their own, without your strength, would you break in by the power of the Holy Spirit? For those that have lost their joy, find themselves on the second Sunday of 2019 already exhausted and stressed. Visit by the power of your Holy Spirit and bring a fresh assurance of your peace and your grace. Lift all of the anxieties and the burdens and the worries that Pull our heads down and let us look into the face of Almighty God. Minister your grace across this room and across the internet. Strengthening feeble knees. Just gently, without anyone else seeing you, everybody's eyes are closed. Open your hands on your lap. If you'd like to, as a sign of saying to God, I want you to strengthen me this night. I want you to give me courage. I need your grace. I need you to give me the fresh gift of faith every day. I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord. Come by your Spirit. And meet me now. Break this cycle of fear and despair. Give me fresh courage. Thank you for your grace at work in my life. You're welcome to move amongst us, Lord. One or two of you are so desperate for this that your hearts break when no one else can see you. Lord, come in power. Break in. You're welcome here. And is there anyone here tonight who is not yet a follower of Jesus? You've never made a public confession of him. And you've heard me describe what a Christian is and you say to me, "Malcolm, I want to be a Christian." I want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I want this settled in my heart tonight. You'd like to become a Christian, no one is looking, just put your hand up and take it down, would you? I'm not going to make a fool of you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to be able to pray for you. And if you make this confession online, drop us an email, drop my colleague an email, Pep at I just feel it's right to make this invitation. Move, Lord, amongst us. Thank you so much. You can take your hand down. What a wonderful answer to prayer. I knew it. Lord, I want to thank you for that person. And I want to pray tonight that you will flood their heart with peace, that you will transform their lives, that you will give them hope and courage, that they will know you at work. Thank you that you take us as we are, not as we think we should be. And may my brother know that he is forgiven, that he is released, that he is set free, that his life has been placed into a different trajectory tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Lord, that you will continue to move amongst us and draw us all into your family and closer into your purposes and plans. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to welcome a new brother into the family of God tonight. If you need someone to pray with you, then we'll be around at the end of the service. You can grab us on a Tuesday um, at 11. Is it 11 or 11.30? It is 11. 11 through until uh, 1. I don't know why I'm having a senior moment, Eileen. I'm so sorry. Uh, We have prayer available. We have a faithful team that come every week. And we believe that prayer ministry really matters. We're going to be introducing it as a a thing that you can receive at the end of every service not here at the front but in a room or somewhere so that your privacy and your dignity is protected and honoured and occasionally we'll pray here but if you need someone to pray with you, if you want some of the truths that you're hearing on a Sunday to be rooted into your life so that they begin to work themselves out, there's no embarrassment in receiving prayer, it's a sign of strength not of weakness so come on a Tuesday from 11 to 1 or let us know tonight. Speak to one of the pastors or to Tommy and Eileen who lead that ministry and they'd be happy to arrange praying with you. Let's stand together and focus our attention and our thoughts and our hearts on Almighty God as we worship Him now.